when he left Rottnest Island, actually, and uh, said, oh, you know, you're looking forward to the pool. And he kind of made the joke of, yeah, Kelly, give us some more waves. Like, he knows that he needs to get better out there. And you don't get given more waves. You get given the amount of waves that everyone else gets, and that's it. There's no freebies. All right, and welcome back to the Stab Cusp. We have just seen the conclusion of the Surf Ranch Pro, actually a few days ago. Um, but yeah, major takeaway was we probably didn't even have to run the event. We pretty much called the entire men's draw in our last episode, or at least the top four. Um, How did you feel about it, Stace? Yeah, I think that I was surprised to see the winners, though. I think that, and that's what that's what really matters, right? I, we definitely can sort of telegraph who's going to do well out there just given on the stats. But to me, the winners, they were sort of a surprise. I think, um, you know, Gabe's been unstoppable this year, but Philippe found a new gear. and um, A new gear him. or a new fin? I think he found a new fin. He definitely found an extra fin. How good did that board look? <laughs> yeah, pretty spicy. Well, you're closer to my time zone now, so... How hard is that event to watch? Impossible. I pretty much woke up every day and watched like the last few waves, but I did get to wake up and watch the the final between Gab and Felipe, which was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, those really are the only two guys that I feel like you need to watch in the pool. They're just going so much faster, turning so much harder, and they make it look like it is like part of a totally different sport, kind of like just. It's like they're like the if there were like two Sean Whites, right? Like he, when you used to watch Sean White do half pipe in snowboarding, I remember he used to do this straight air out of the gates and he would just go so much higher than everyone. It was like what like how? Like it's the same exact platform. How are you going that much faster and higher? And that's exactly what those guys are doing in the wave pool. So, um yeah, it's pretty special to see the the level the, the gap that they've created between themselves and the rest yeah, of the Yeah, definitely. It's it's spot on. Uh and if anyone didn't really get the chance to tune in, Philippe rode a quad on both the left and the right and his board looked incredible. By far the best equipment in the pool. I mean he is one of the best surfers. He is this year the best surfer in the pool, but I still think even for him he went up another gear. But he wasn't the only one to ride a quad. We saw Kelly up for the same up for the same thing on the right and the left which kind of surprised me because typically you'll see uh most of most crew around the world only really stick to a quad if it's tubing um they won't really surf a quad on their backside but uh yeah they both did and uh it looked looked incredible i thought phil was uh going thrusters on the right was he not I thought it was the same little black magic board the whole time. No, I'm pretty sure he switched. I know Gab was switching after rights and lefts. He was staying thruster both ways. But I think, yeah, I think Phil was uh, quad on the left, which is interesting to me because I always, when I think of quads and twins and any sort of, like, non-center fin type board, like, I always think of going front side on those because backside your surfing is way more like pivoty by nature and i feel like you want that pivot point of the back fin to be able to push off of versus the quad which wants to do kind of either rounder turns because it likes to hold the rail or like really slidey turns but they weren't really doing too much of that they were doing kind of like just 
fast snaps and and stuff of that nature so yeah i, I thought it was pretty interesting to see them quad backside for sure yeah that i was i was definitely um interested by that and i think i saw kelly you know with his equipment um and i thought that he would 100 percent change between the right and the left but he he stuck to the quad both times and um yeah yeah it worked amazingly so yeah and then on the women's side of things joanne and carissa probably had the best battle of the whole event they went back and forth on the leaderboard the whole time and um jojo second at rottnest island fell on her last wave over there that could have won the event so i know she would have been thinking about that in that time off and then she managed to put all that energy into a big win in the pool so yeah good on good on her and um it's set up for an awesome last two events for her she's looking right in the mix there for that final five yeah uh to me i mean we kind of forecasted this i want to give us props where props are due like we talked about this before this season even started that she was kind of the most improved surfer and i mean god it's just even seemed to continue throughout the season you know she had a few decent results throughout the year now she's made two finals in a row and obviously won the wave pool event and to me she is the only female surfer right now um I think especially with like Lakey out, because I think Lakey was also kind of maybe in that conversation before, but who matches kind of like the power of Carissa. Um, she actually, to me, she has a really similar style and approach to Carissa. They have pretty similar body types. They they push their turns in similar ways. I still think Carissa probably has a, a little bit more technique, a little bit more power. She's just like at that upper echelon but joanne is like gaining ground I and she just seems to not be phased by carissa she has these moments where you, you see other surfers i guess i should say other surfers have other moments where they almost look defeated against carissa before they even go into the heat with her but joanne just seems to hold her nerve more often than not and um the wave pool is such a good place to show what you're made of mentally because as we all know you get your opportunity. There's no denying that. You get your chances, and it's up to you to capitalize on them. So I think she would be coming out of that event feeling so confident. Yeah, well, you know what they say about the French. They've got an air of arrogance, and it tends to serve them well. I mean, look at Jeremy Flores. Like He goes into every heat, at least when the waves are good, thinking, like, I'm going to go out there and absolutely smash this guy. And a lot of the times he does, and he's won some really, really big events because of it. And I think that that's, that's awesome if that's how she feels as well. Certainly, yeah. The, you can see the confidence within Joanne surfing at the moment. And, um, yeah, it was definitely great to see her bring it home there at the pool. But um, flipping back over to the men's side of things, I think, you know, talking about where we could, you know, give ourselves a little pat on the back with the with the men's side of things, I think would be the, the men who... Came in third, Kanoa and Griffin. Although they got similar results to what they've had there in the past, I still think they look like they've leveled up and and they were fighting for the final there. I know they didn't make it into the final, but they looked so competitive. Yeah, they... Um, col- sorry, Kanoa in particular is just so sharp and fast. Like, Griffin is great too, and he's really, like, elastic and and loose. and But, like... I don't know. Kanoa's turns are the only ones that look nearly as sharp as Felipe's to me. Just like absolutely just electric. Um, And again, he's on dark arts equipment as well. So maybe there's something in that. 
Um, and then Griffin looked to me like he was riding a really sort of shortened, widened, wide nose sort of board. And that was allowing him to turn really, really tight front side, like just those slidey, gooey fin throw things throughout the wave, um, which I think helped him a lot. He was able to fit in a lot of tighter transitions than a lot of the other surfers were. Um, and then obviously it just goes back to their confidence, which we know Kanoa has in absolute tons and Griffin seems to be kind of like getting to that point as well, especially at the pool. Definitely. And I think the cool thing about Griffin was he, he had to come from pretty poor performances on his opening rides in either direction and to see him, you know, be able to, as he mentioned, <laughs> dodge the lightsabers of bad thoughts coming through his mind and, and overcome that was, was pretty cool. And, you know, his description and the way he broke that down was, um, was yeah, pretty pretty classic. I think I might queue it up for you here. So if anyone who missed it, they can have a listen if I can find it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> because I just realized that the replay system on this event is a little challenging to navigate sometimes. Yes. Um, and then the other person that is, I think, really worth talking about on the guy's side is Yago Dora, who we also brought up in last week's episode. Um, he just has so much agility and skill when it comes to just doing those tight little air verses, you know, which everybody on tour can, for the most part, can do a decent air verse. But the difference with Yago is how smoothly and quickly he comes out of them. Like he lands so perfectly centered on his board. There's no bobble whatsoever that he's then bottom turning straight back into the next turn. And because of that, he's the only guy who is able to consistently do two and three airs on a single wave and as a result he got the highest scores on the left so as we kind of mentioned his weak point was the right unfortunately and that's what held him back from getting to that kind of upper echelon but still awesome to watch him surf out there and I guess he's got a little bit more room to improve certainly yeah I think you know we made reference to him having a few points to make up on the right and unfortunately he couldn't do that this year but he's going to take heaps of confidence out of that being that he's the guy on the left to beat so if he his his objective now to improve moving forward is the transitions on the right and once he gets that down he's potentially going to have half a head point start on everyone because he's definitely the king of the left that's for sure uh i'd like to throw a bit of a, a mention to our boy morgan sibillic i know he only got a ninth but I think it's pretty safe to say when you see other quality surfers surf that pool that have had no experience other than this event, how massive a ninth place finish is for him at that at that wave. It, it is one of the hardest waves on... It might be the hardest wave on tour to figure out. And the fact he could get in and out of that comp with a ninth, he's four in the world. Yeah, he leapfrogged Jordy, who obviously is out with a knee injury, and it's starting to look more and more likely that we might see him in that final event. Obviously, we still have two events to go, um, Mexico and Tahiti, um, and there are definitely some chasers that are really close behind him. I know that Griffin and Kanoa both snuck up into like fifth and sixth, and they would be looking to both get past him, obviously. Um, so a lot of heats left to be surfed but yes very impressive from mr morgan sibilic um and on that note somebody who shared that ninth place with him is the current number two in the world italo ferreira who just for his skill level can't seem to figure out the wave pool um what do you think happened this year 
he actually he'd improved in in my eyes. I know he didn't end up in the in the final series, but you know I kind of alluded to it leading into the pool. It's not really a surprise for me. Um, I think that um, you you notice the difference in his style of surfing in a long wave, uh, particularly the left. Um, and like you mentioned with the Sean White reference, like if you're comparing say apples with apples so you know Gabriel and Italo both being goofy footers the difference in power that Gabriel shows when he takes off on that right and his first you know three major maneuvers before the barrel you've just it's captivating even though the wave is obviously the same thing every time you know hearsay it's still something different even though it's still a backside rio you're actually watching this guy throw so much water off the back whereas someone like italo and maybe yago they're just sitting on top of the water a little bit more so they've obviously still got a bit of ground to to catch there um, on the right when it comes to um you know making up that score line and then you know italo kind of showed a little chink in his armor when he left rottenest island actually and i uh, said oh, you know you're looking forward to the pool and he kind of made the joke of yeah kelly give us some more waves like he knows that he needs to get better out there. And you don't get given more waves. You get given the amount of waves that everyone else gets, and that's it. There's no freebies. Uh, so, you know, there might be a trip to the pool for him in the future as, as perhaps just training, which um, in the old world, the surfers could do that. Um, I'm not too sure what the agreement is um, this year and next year, but uh, it wasn't too uncommon <clears throat> to see people training in the pool you know you saw John John warming up in the pool before snapper a few times uh and I think you know the only way that Italo is ever going to get better out there is just a few more repetitions I guess this other option is just throw down some freaking bucks i mean he's the reigning world champion i'm sure he's bringing in plenty of money and if he sees this as something that he wants to really improve on he should just drop the 50k for a day and surf 80 waves or, or however many they give and see if that can make him some return in the long run i mean you got to think like you drop 50k once and then you truly figure that pool out over the course of a career that's going to pay itself back like easily You're not wrong uh I don't know that it's 50k anymore. I think it's closer to 70. Oh, inflation hitting us hard. It is. Uh, I'm led to believe it was in that high demand that uh, the only thing they could do to um, to weed out anyone who was half-hearted about it was to chuck the price up a notch. But that's um, that's unverified, but I'm happy to throw that out <laughs> there and have someone tell me it's wrong. But, no, uh, it makes sense. I heard they were selling out at 50k, so... That is supply and demand 101. If you can do that, you can probably push up the prices. So good on the WSL for maximizing profits. Um, okay, question. Sorry, back to the final. After Felipe had his second run and kind of trounced his right and his left, if you had to bet, like if somebody put the money on the table in front of you before Gab's last two runs, would you have said that he was going to flip the score and, and, and get the win over Felipe? Or did you think that coming from behind, which he's never really had to do at the pool, was going to be too much pressure? Coming from behind for Gabriel and winning heats or winning events is not a problem for him. However, his average score on the left is a nine two seven. 
what he required to win the event was a not on the left if he didn't improve the right was a 928 which isn't you can't get a 928 you can either get a 927 or a 9.3 so when i saw that number come up i actually did think wow philippe philippe might have him there so just going purely off the numbers that was my thought going into it and i thought philippe's got him oh money ball love it um <laughs> and you can do that with the pool that's why i think it's not what we said prior to the pool was too uh interesting to say someone like you and i because we watch it all day every day but if you do cast your eyes over the previous events you can get a pretty good look at who's going to do pretty well and and you know that was they were the numbers so when i saw 9.28 i was just thinking to myself wow he, he's he's done it of course you never count gabby out but the numbers were stacked up against yeah, him and to be fair as well like like you said gabby has no problem coming from behind in a heat but when we talk about that we're talking about ocean heats where he has multiple chances and that is gabby's mo is usually to just keep on swinging until something sticks and obviously that does not work at all in the wave pool you get one chance in each direction so it adds another layer of complexity and psychological you know chaos that yeah he i i mean was ultimately unable to overcome this time around which is not a uh i'm not trying to disparage him at all he's made five of six finals this year dude five of six um yeah, I went back and looked around a little bit. So Italo made five finals in 2019 when he won his world title, but that was over the course of 11 events. Um, and the only person that I could find that has made seven finals in an, a year, I think, was Kelly Slater. And that was back in 2008 when he had his most dominant year on the tour. I think he won six of those finals as well. So, oh, no, I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me pull this up not get this wrong one two three four yeah okay so kelly made seven finals in 2008 and he won six of them um so i guess that is kind of the record that gabby is looking to chase although he has already lost three of his five finals this year so any any has less events to work with he's only got um i guess technically what they only have eight events in the regular season this year right yeah, Mexico, Tahiti, and then Lowers is its own event. So, um, And the chances of Gab making another final in those last two events is really, really high. And obviously, he's guaranteed to be in the final of the final event based on the current standing. So I don't, it's pretty wild the year he's putting together. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was at least a little bit frustrated that this is the year that he decided to make the change over to the new system. Yeah, I, I would love to... <laughs> you know, be a little closer to his camp and understand, you know, the conversations they might be having around that. Surely they are starting to mention just as a passing joke, you know. They, they must be thinking that, although I don't think he'll let it affect him. He's just such a competitor that he and everyone on the tour, they knew what they were getting into at the start of the year. It's not like a halfway year where they've changed the final and it's a new thing. It's like everyone knew what we were getting into, so this is what we're, this is what we're dealing with. And he's just such a processor of almost problems and a master at figuring them out so i'm sure he'll figure them out but getting back to his performance in the pool philippe like you mentioned he started with two sevens gabe went a high eight on the right 
his first left, he was looking so good on that ride. He went for the biggest air I've ever seen in the pool on a world tour event. Like two feet? Yeah, it was probably two and a half feet <laughs> out to the flats of the left and he got exploded. And I just thought to myself, wow, this guy is not comping out at all. He's trying to put this to bed right now with a, like, a massive high nine on the left, maybe even a 10, I don't know. Like the air was seriously bigger than anything else. Like it wasn't like a blowtail reverse where it's barely an air and just a reverse. It was like a legit straight air at the early section of that wave where no one was doing turns. They were just doing floaters or just surfing around it. And so I thought his attitude there was just such a good indication of where he's at mentally. He's like really happy to risk it and go for it. And I thought that was cool. It didn't pay off for him, but to see him look that comfortable was like super deadly. And like you say, in the ocean, he usually gets multiple chances. So I just think this year he's looking, you know, obviously unstoppable. Well, it's pretty cool because it, now it really does give Medina the freedom to go out and surf exactly how he wants in the next two events because he's not going to be caught. Like, the next closest guy right now is um, Italo, and Italo is, like, 13,000 points behind him. Um, so he's in a position where, you know, he's, he's obviously not going to get last at Mexico or, or Chopo. And yeah, like basically Gab can just do whatever he wants in the next two events and still hold that first spot down. Um, so I hope we see, I don't know what he could do <laughs> that would be more impressive than what he's already done this year and throughout his career. But if ever there was an opportunity to kind of let his freak flag fly, Definitely. it would be now. Uh, I wonder how this is going to affect, you know, his performance in the Olympics. You know, I wonder if he's, I guess he's just, like I said, he's just such a processor of problems and he'll just the olympics is probably just another event for him and he's just probably going to go out there and go terminator and wax everyone and then move on over to the uh the mexico event well on that point i've got some uh some news for you via instagram oh, i love it um Colohan dino and john john florence are back in the water um one of them is looking significantly more rehabilitated than the other that being Colohan Dino, who is doing, like, proper turns. And um, I think he's still definitely, like, nursing it a bit, maybe riding a bit longer boards or whatever, probably not doing airs or anything. But he's out there doing real turns. And with a month left for the Olympics, I have almost zero doubt that he will be competing. And then on the other hand, we have John John, who posted a couple photos of him more or less going straight on one of the waves. He was riding, like, a big old gun. The other one, he was riding something that looked more like a traditional shortboard, but um, still looks very tender, which I guess we've almost grown accustomed to seeing him go through this sort of like teething process when he's coming back from injuries. But yeah, he just looks definitely like he's trying to keep that thing stable and steady. Like you mentioned in earlier episode that I think um, Brett Simpson mentioned to you uh, in an interview that you did with him, it's... It's not up to team selection. It's up to the athlete withdrawing. So with these photos that we've seen and videos, the, the, neither of those two, obviously, Kolohe sounds in a pretty good place. But even with, say, John at 10% capacity of what he's capable of, it doesn't look like he'll be withdrawing. He, even even if he is not fully rehabilitated, it's certainly looking like he will be competing in in the olympics regardless of what shape his knees in yeah it would be hard not to 
if you were John and you were, say, you were at 50-60% because of the opportunities that it affords you with a new business that he's just opened, I'm sure he wants as much exposure as possible. On the other hand, though, there is, like, what, what sort of, like, moral or ethical obligation do you have to your country when it comes to something like this, to the other surfers, um below you who might be in better health and at a better chance to be able to compete for a gold like if john doesn't feel like he can go out there and medal like should he really be going like or is that just kind of like selfish you know what i mean like is that just deciding like oh like i'm just doing this because i know it's going to be great for my career i get to be called an olympian forever and ever and and to be clear if I was in his shoes, I would a hundred percent do that. Like no questions asked. I want to be an Olympian. Like that'd be incredible, but that doesn't mean that it's not selfish, you know? Yeah. But I don't think it's a surprise to see, you know, individual athletes, no matter what sport it is, uh, put themselves first. And you know, if that's a surprise to you, then you obviously haven't been paying close enough attention. And I don't see it being any different here. Until the rules change or the selection criteria changes around the Olympics and individual sports like that, I don't think you're going to see an athlete uh, in a position like this do the old. Oh no, you do it. You no, you're you're better. You're better in shape than me. You, you go. Like that's just not. Yeah. <laughs> that's just not how they think. So I'm not sure that's going to happen. And even more so in this situation, John is definitely not going to give Kelly a leg up into the Olympics. That is. Like their, you know, their competitive rivalry runs deep, and it's not. That's not a thing. No, maybe, maybe Seth. Maybe I don't know. Maybe if he'd be stoked to see a Hawaiian in the Olympics. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just can't see him giving it up to Kelly. I, don't, I just don't see that. Yeah, happening. fair enough. I, I'm just still confused at how John is already able to surf. Like I've talked to a lot of medical professionals about this whole ACL tear and reconstruction thing. And not a one of them has been able to come up with any sort of example of somebody who's gotten this sort of surgery and come back within like a two month period to surfing. Like it just doesn't seem to happen. It seems like four months is like minimum to get kind of back in the water. And you're looking at like six months for full recovery. And that's like really that's like, you know, top athlete with the top care doing physical therapy every day and all that. So um, maybe John did get some sort of like unique surgery that really allows his body to heal faster than normal maybe it wasn't a very severe tear i don't know but it's uh i guess impressive that he's already out surfing so good on you john and i i genuinely hope that you're back and fighting fit come next month when we go to tokyo yeah i think just in generally i just hope he's everything's all good and and that it takes the you know i'm sure they are you talk about top athletes getting the top care well that's that's John John Florence. He he wouldn't be messing around. You say like, would Italo throw fifty k down to surf the pool? Like, I'd say the same thing with John and his rehab with his with both of his injuries. Like, he's definitely, without a doubt, going to the the ends of the earth to make sure that he's all good. Not only for the Olympics, but for the rest of his career because he's still so young in the grand scheme of things. So you know, I know he'd be wanting looking after his body for the long term as well. So. The Olympics is going to come and, and then go. your mind starts to spin. Like, if you start thinking, okay, if he's surfing in the Olympics, that means he could maybe surf in Mexico. And if he did well there, maybe got like a quarter, and then he went to Chopes and won. And you're looking at a guy who could sneak back into that top five picture. 
because he's still, even with all this going on, he hasn't slipped that far down the rankings. And with another win and a quarter? That's a storyline I could get behind. That's a good storyline. I like that. I like that thought. <laughs> I hope a lot for that. Be- Again, more questions than answers. We still don't know what Jordy's deal is, um, but we'll definitely be watching that space pretty closely. Um, and... Speaking of limited events left and rankings being very important, uh, you know, another call we did put out there would be that Kelly Slater would be pretty well fine to requalify, and it's certainly looking that way. He's moved into 22 on the rankings after the Surf Ranch Pro. So Kelly's on the up. Yes, he is. And uh, you got to think that he would be feeling pretty confident about the points in Mexico and certainly about Chopo. Um so, yeah, I mean, we've said it a million times. I hope Kelly Slater's on tour until he's 75. Um, and it's looking like he will have another swing of it if he wants to come 2022, you know, barring any major mishaps at the last two events. So good on you, Kelly. And, um, yeah, what else we got, Stacy? I think the feel-good story of the Surf Ranch Pro for me was – all of the Brazilian and Portuguese men and women donning the ADS jersey to um, send off their champion, Adriano. Even even Gabriel got his yellow jersey made with the D'Souza name on the back to, um, you know, to pay their respects to um, a man who, unfortunately, won't get a home CT send-off, which is obviously upsetting for Adriano and his fans back home in Brazil, but this being the first event since the Brazilian event got cancelled, it was a nice touch that um, all the surfers from um, you know the Portuguese-speaking countries gave to Adriano to, to send him off, and um, yeah, just goes to show how much respect they all have for him. And mind you, he used that to full effect, and he was tearing also equal fifth. <laughs> Yeah, well done, agreed. And also, just like as far as a career goes, like you got to hand it to that guy. I mean, the world title goes without saying, but even like just kind of knowing when to call it, I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, obviously like people build their whole entire lives around being on tour. And there's a lot of pride around it. There's a lot of ego. And I think him being able to take a step back and say, you know what, like, I absolutely maximized my potential. Um, These kids nowadays are so good. I just want to watch them surf. You know, I've done everything I need to do. And now it's my time to depart. Like that is I I just have a lot of respect for someone who's able to to do that. So um, yeah, good on you, Adriano. Oh, and one last thing about the pool is I would say the board... The most common board model used out there might have been the Sharpeye Inferno 72, which is obviously the board that you just tested in your most recent joyride. So, um, yeah, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that experience? I, I did notice that there was a lot of Infernos getting around out there. And, uh, yeah, my experience with the board was um, was a really fun one. I, I felt, like, uh, pretty spoiled, actually, to be able to test it in so many different conditions. Uh, and I was on, like we mentioned in a few earlier pods, I was on a bit of a quest to try to find as much drive as I could out of the board. But I also think too, I'd gotten to a point where, where I was just looking at the edit way too much and, and kind of overthinking it. It wasn't until you watched it to help me 
tidy it up and everything that you kind of said how good it looked in the small waves and I kind of had to really take that feedback on board Mikey you coached me well there um to kind of help put the whole episode together because at the end of the day it was made for small you know grovelly style waves and I think you know maybe in this particular episode I might have been searching for something that was never there but in the conditions that that board was made for yeah like you said it was so sparky and so dynamite that um I definitely think that um you know it it has that board has the potential I think to be kind of like the next ghost of what Pizel did just kind of like a cult hero board where you just a small wave ghost yeah exactly like you just I've already seen around town like so many people on that board since that they were able to you know construct it and release it and put it out and there's been you know obviously plenty of hype around it um and and then to see all the pros on tour riding it as well it's now that it's just come into the market I feel like it's gonna explode We're, I'm at a QS at the moment down in Tweed Heads and um Breno Dorrington has been riding in his heats and he's been going about 30 kilometers an hour faster than anyone else on the same waves. And he's just looking so, so gnarly. And it's just one of those things where the performance, you, you know, when you see it up against someone else in a heat or whatever, it's so noticeable that uh, I'd be very surprised to see, you know, it not take off and be a huge hit. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree wholeheartedly. Um, I got one made over here in Indonesia, where I've been for the past few weeks. Um, I got one made by the the guys at Onboard Store, Bali, who handle basically all of building Sharp Eye boards in Indonesia, as, as well as CI and Christensen and a couple other brands. And I've been testing a few different Bali boards over here, um, some Pizels, some CIs, um, supposed to get some Losts, and... I'll tell you what, that board, I haven't had a board initially, like, have that that initial feel, like, oh, my God, like, what is this thing under my feet right now? Like, it just felt like an absolute race car from the first second I stood up. And it was actually really funny because the waves are so, like, consistent and good over here. Sorry, it's, like, a weird humble brag, but I, I found it hard to, like, almost control the board because it just wanted to go so fast and I would get these sections that looked like the best sections ever and I would just get so excited because I was going a million miles an hour and felt like I could do anything like the board felt so stuck to my feet and then I would just try to do like a big carve or a snap or something and I would actually just kind of push too hard um and I was like holy crap so I did some like rearranging with fins and I found a little bit more of like a sweet spot where you know a little bit bigger fin I could push a little bit harder and all that but but my feeling is that like man I almost wish the waves were worse so I could surf this board and feel like I could maximize its potential rather than feeling I have to like take my foot off the gas a little bit if that makes sense but like it is seriously the fastest craziest feeling board that I've felt in so long yeah I I agree and I think that it comes down to um I guess in the world that I'm around every day it's i'm fortunate enough to be working with surfers that have like the availability of the whole model range of their shape of whoever they're working with um and i'd say with that board within the sharp eye range is i guess that feeling that you're talking about i feel like the only thing that i would say about that board is that it just and you just said it then obviously is it's limitations and it's one of those things where it is the perfect board in the the conditions that it was made for, but you cannot transfer that feeling up 
into the next set of conditions because you end up like what you just said then i totally agree you end up holding back and that's not how you want to improve your surfing um i think if you were to stay on the sharp eye range you'd just jump on your 77 but man you you spot on with how connected you feel on that board you feel like you, you're in a snowboard and you're just you, you're, you've got two bindings and you're strapped in you're not moving yeah so i can't good. wait to go home and find some junky waist high waves and just feel like i'm flying fat past people like it's i'm like yeah rarely 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 have i had boards that were so well designed for small waves that i like wish the waves would be bad yeah and this is one of those times that's good because that's what you need when the waves are shit to get fired up so yeah good on good on those guys and yeah obviously you got yours done by marcio over there in the states and then mine was handled by sharp eyes australian team which is um, brendan lecky and he's uh you know bit of a shout out here for brendan like he's been shaping with these guys for a few years now and he's he's put like contest winning boards under philippe kanoa uh and so i think that just sharp eye overall from you know either side of the pacific ocean he seems to be just on fire. oh and like i said too mine were made in bali like and that's actually oh that's right yeah that's part of what i'm doing over here like i'm on vacation yeah but i'm also following up on uh, some rumors that I'd been hearing from a lot of pros and a lot of board builders that the boards coming out of Bali and Indonesia right now are just as good as, if not better, than the boards coming out of the U.S. and Indonesia. So I've been over here testing boards from a few different like major brands that are based either in the U.S. or Australia, but who have like an affiliate making a board, making boards over here for them, and. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I have been like happily, happily, happily surprised at the quality of surfboards that are being made halfway across the world from where their original creators are. So um, it's pretty cool to see what technology has allowed, what kind of skilled workforces around the world have allowed. And um, yeah, it's it's been a pretty unique experience for me. Yeah, that's a good one because there was a time when I think surfboard shapers, they were trying to monopolize their market and and by putting factories in different parts of the world and you'd rock up to a place and, yeah, we've got six boards waiting for you in country Y and then you get there and they're all just not good. <laughs> you go, oh, I should have bought my 12 boards from home. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that is going to be an issue anymore. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll talk more about it later, but it's been a pretty fascinating experiment for me. So, Stacy, where are you right now? You look like you're parked out somewhere in the middle of the Australian suburbs. <laughs> well, I kind of am. I had just finished a uh, huge day of um, QS surfing here at Cavarita, which is on the very, very top of the northern coastline of New South Wales. It's just over the border from Queensland. And um, the team here in Australia have actually managed to pull together a 5,000, a QS 5,000, which is the biggest event that's been run since the 10,000 at Manly in 2020, at the start of 2020. So... This is an opportunity for all the Australian and the Australian uh, or Australasia region, sorry, all their surfers to have one crack at qualifying or one last crack at qualifying for the Challenger Series, which will run at the end of this year. So this is what the new format that the WSL were working on a few years ago where you go regional, Challenger Series, onto the World Tour. So that's where I am, and I'm working with the absolute 
just top shelf team I'm on this event working with Vaughan Blakey, Ronnie Blakey, Rabbit, and young True Starling from uh, North Narrabeen. And it has just been so much fun. I, I actually wonder, I'm just doing the sideline stuff, and I, I wonder if like the kids are going home and watching their heat recaps and they can hear Ronnie Blakey calling their heat. I wonder if they're like nervous. <laughs> I certainly would be. Imagine those like freaking like, dulcet tones just speaking over your fucking spazzy surfing. You'd <laughs> feel like you were tarnishing yeah, exactly. fine art. Oh, fully. It's like, oh, that's the guy from the world tour, you know. And then obviously, obviously, Vaughn has so much, you know. Oh man, he's just like an icon of of our sport. You know, the, the movies and the obviously the podcast and everything that he does is just so sick. So I think the the team here, the crew that are surfing, they they've definitely got experts calling their surfing. And for me, I haven't been doing it very long at all, but it's a sick, sick team to be around, and really stoked to be working in the backyard. But it's um you know as much fun as we're having on the webcast. This is a big deal, and you can see the the pressure is starting to creep into crew. Um, you know, we've had a couple of people lose out today where you just think, oh, yeah, he's a shoo-in. He should be on the Challenger Series. And, you know, someone like Jordan Lawler, unfortunately, as good a surfer as he is, his current rating isn't actually that high. So he won't be, he won't be moving on to the Challenger Series uh, at this point uh, unless something drastic changes, whether he might get a wild card or something. I'm not sure, but... As far as the ratings go, he, he's out. And then you've got other surfers like Jackson Baker and Mitch Cruz who were right on that bubble. They both made their heats today and moved into that top 10. So it's almost like a, a mini sunset in a way in that there's a cutoff line and you've got to be above it. Otherwise, your next six months, are, you know, you given the current climate and what sponsors are doing for people at the moment, you'll be working. So if you're making heats here... You're going to send yourself off to Europe and Hawaii for the end of the year. And if you don't, yeah, you're likely going to be on the tools. Yeah, right. And so that's for Australia, obviously. Um, what are they going to do for the Americas where they haven't really been able to run any QS events this year? Are they just going to take it based on the leftover standings from 2019? Yeah, they'll, they'll take it on the leftover standings from 2019. And they will take into consideration the event that was run at Manly. So... If you are, say for example, you are Matt Banting and you came second at Manly in the Australian rankings, he actually keeps the second equivalent if it was a 5,000. So Banting started this regional season with 4,000 points. So he's pretty much locked in. And as he should be, like you're not just going to take that second away from him. And then in your region, you've got guys like Dunny, Michael Dunphy. He started the season you know, back in the day, with a third. So he's taking equal points from that third into this new season. Now, if no events run over there, well, that's good for him. He'll he'll stay at the top of the pile. Um, but for everyone else that's still trying to get into that top 10 for the American um, side of things, they they won't have an opportunity, and it'll be based off the, the 2019 regional series that they would have had. Yeah, I wonder then. why they didn't run any... QS events just in like California I mean I guess it's just hard with all the COVID shit but it just seems like I don't know America's getting vaccinated like there, there was there had to be some sort of opportunity but I guess they need funding as well like I, we obviously can't see inside of the whole WSL operation but I just would have loved to see at least a couple events run on American soil this year and I was hoping that we might find 
you know, I didn't want to get political for no reason, but Connor Coffin, in his posted interview, he actually had a really, really good crack at that exact point. It was, you know, International Surfing Day or Day of Surfing or whatever holiday you want to call it <laughs> when the event was on and he got asked about the state of surfing in, in America and in particularly California and he just straight up said like he wants to see more support from you know his you know county governments and stuff and you'd have to agree like there's a lot of coastline in California a lot of people surf um, I'm surprised to not see more events run there and even if it's a QS 1000, it's just giving these kids or, you know, younger younger guys and women at the start of their career something to aim towards. Um, so, yeah, good on you, Connor, for ripping in. He, he sunk the boot in for him. But he's usually pretty, you know, his interviews are usually pretty straightforward. Uh, but that, that kind of, that got me pretty fired up. Uh, anything else you want to cover? Or? I think that would be it for the moment. I think we've got the Olympics coming up. Um, that's our next event. And then between now and then... Um, yeah, we're just going to have to see what the world uh, what the world brings us. I don't know if any regional events will be going down. I'll have a winner of this for you next week. I can send you a text and let you know. Or you could even tune in, worldsurfleague.com. <laughs> oh, no, we're plugging them now. Okay. All right, well, Stacy, it was nice chatting to you. I hope uh, your sunset was beautiful overlooking the, uh, the, what would that be, the Western Pacific. Um and yeah we'll catch you next time on the stab cusp